And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, hi, Mark. Hi. First, I love your show. I just talked to David Lee Roth. He said, somebody get me a doctor. The X at 105.9. Somebody get our radio tower a doctor. It was struck by lightning. So we were off the air for a bit. I think Antonio Brown convinced God to strike our radio tower with lightning to get me off the air. But uh, I'm not that easily stopped. Okay, let's try it again. Hit the music. And I'm starting over because I'm not sure where I was cut off. I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of the dollar defense. I got the playbook today at the dollar store. Seven DBs. whole bunch of safeties pretending to be linebackers. The first pro is you get better athletes on the field. Edmonds over Matakavich. I'll take that any day of the week. The first con is the other team might run a lot against seven DBs out there. But on the pro side, if the other team does run, it will play away from its strength. Well, unless it's Jacksonville. But it's a passing league. Almost every team is a passing team. A con. If the dollar's complicated, that's a lot of guys trying to learn something new all at once. Even Joe Hayden. He's never played in the dollar. This is a new phenomenon. Pro. It's good use of Edmonds and Marcus Allen and... Morgan Burnett. They're big enough to be the quasi-linebackers that the system requires some safeties to be. Con. I'm not sure Sean Davis is ready to be back there as the last line of defense. Uh, Pro. If you do blitz, you're going to do it with DBs. You gain quickness but lose power. And finally, a con. If you're going to use the dollar, you need to use it a lot. To frustrate the other team passing, uh, you know, as much as most teams do. And I don't think the Steelers will do that. The Steelers don't do radical. This is radical. Sick Again brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Isn't it great to talk football and not that... Sideshow garbage. If you're just tuning in, uh, Ben left practice. Uh, looks like he took a knock to the head. The word is he might be in concussion evaluation. More on that as it develops. That was not reported by Ed Bouchette, so we can believe it. Uh, looking at that dollar defense, the pros and cons, that last part's the bad part. It almost makes the whole idea moot and the conversation, too. I don't think the Steelers have the guts to use the dollar enough to make it effective because they don't do radical. But the Steelers are obviously pursuing the option because they know that Matakavich, Bintz, and Bostic aren't very good at inside backer. They drafted Edmonds to be a de facto inside backer, but maybe they should have just drafted an inside backer. And obviously there wasn't another Shazier. There may never be. And Edmonds isn't a Shazier either. It's going to be an interesting Steeler team, an interesting Steeler season. They will not win 13 games again. Right now, I'd say 10. They will lose games they should not. Week one at Cleveland will be fraught with intrigue. I think the Steelers are going to win, but it would not surprise me if they did not. The defense will be absolutely hideous 
in quite a few games. But none of that matters if they make the playoffs and are more ready for the playoffs than they were last year. And I say that because I don't think they were ready at all for that Jacksonville game. Uh, You know, people talk about the time the Steelers, Ben's first Super Bowl, when they, you know, won all the road games, three in a row to get to the Super Bowl and then won that. That's the exception, not the rule. Honestly, if you get the number one seed in a conference, all you got to do is win two home games against the lowest seed left every time to make the Super Bowl. And that really is not that demanding of a path. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. It's the Mark Mann Show on 105.9. The X, the Pirates are back in action tonight at Minnesota. Just a two-game set in Minnesota tonight and tomorrow afternoon. The Pirates basically tanked the game to get the starting pitchers an extra day's rest, which seems even more comical given that yesterday was an off day. But the extra day's rest stuff, protecting the pitchers' arms, that I get. But don't hear me that altitude nonsense in Denver. No other major league team does that, and they all play in Denver. It's not about biometrics, at least I hope not. But you know what the next step is, don't you? Shutting down guys who have pitched a lot of innings, starting with Tyon. And when that happens, it will reaffirm what I've been telling you for quite some time. The Pirates can never fully commit to right now. they got Archer and Kellep, but it's still not a commitment to right now. They won 98 games in 2015 and still couldn't commit to right now, which is why I was cautious uh, giving credit for them getting Archer and Kella, and rightly so, as it turns out. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We got Stan Saverin in just a few moments. We got Peter King at 530. By the way, just for your edification, we will talk to Stan about the Antonio Brown Circus Act, but not Peter King. Peter King knows everything about the NFL. We're going to get as much as we can out of him in terms of actual football talk during his appearance on the show. Ed Bouchette just tweeted, Ben left the field and stadium walking on his own. He hit his head on the grass field at Latrobe Stadium after falling. Looks like precautionary. How can we believe what Ed Bouchette tweets? You know what enabled Antonio Brown to accuse Ed Bouchette of making stuff up and enabled him to call Bouchette a clown? The whole concept of fake news. Anytime a truth comes out that people don't like, you yell fake news and everything's immediately in doubt. And the person who reported it is immediately in doubt. Ed Bouchette, after all the fine work he's put in and after making the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the writer's wing, shouldn't be cast into doubt by a no-ring pissant. And I'm going to call Antonio Braun a no-ring pissant for the rest of his career because he ain't going to win no rings. And when he's done, you know what I'll call him? A retired no-ring pissant. And I bet he still has a stupid haircut. 
I will say this, though. Antonio insulting Ed Bouchette and then confronting him in noisy fashion, that's certainly taking the heat off the being late to Children's Hospital thing. You know, it, it's funny. And if you're a regular listener, you know this. At the end of last season and since last season, I said, you know, Antonio Brown kind of took it down a notch in terms of being a jerk. He wasn't the distraction in 17 that he was in 16. Well, now 2018, it's a whole new year and a brave new world. He has picked his no-ring pissant game up to a point where he is the number one no-ring pissant on that team. And that's saying a lot because there's only one ring left on that team. Well, Ben has two. And a whole lot of no-ring pissants. But A.B. is the number one no-ring pissant. And he has the funniest haircut. Although on him it looks good. Guy's a good-looking guy. Gets lots of women. A lot of baby mamas. A lot of action on the side. And that's a compliment. But boy, that can warp your perspective too. Unfortunately, I don't know that for a fact. By the way, here's a dilemma for me. Remember when Joey Porter made the commotion at the North Catholic High School football games when his kid was playing there? And Mike Tomlin, you know, because his kid was playing there too, kind of just stood there and smirked. There's a similar story out there now about the son of a Steelers coach and his behavior at a high school football seven-on-seven scrimmage. But I hesitate to report it because it's about a kid. That's different. It has some racial overtones. That's not good either. But by the same token, I know it happened. So I don't know what to do. Randy Bauman lectured me. I talked to him this morning about it. And he said, you got to confirm it. I go, I talked to someone who was there. He goes, be better than that. And I go, I'm not better than that. I'm not Ed Bouchette. If anybody else has heard what I'm talking about, if you think you've heard what I'm talking about, tweet me at Mark Madnex. It is a pretty salacious story. 412, that's what we call a tease. Maybe I'll talk about it later in the show. So keep it right here on 105.9 The X. I'm here till 6. And after that, spinning the hits on the old 105.9. 9. 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Let's go to, oh, call dropped. What, all this stuff going on? You don't want to talk about it? Come on. Actually, we've got no time for your foolishness. Because up next, we got the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media. He's the great Stan Saver, and then at 5.30, Peter King here on 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. It's a rare chance for you to have a brush with greatness. Make the most of it. Hey, Mark, big fan, big fan. Say, here's another great name from the past. The X at 105.9. Joining me now, I'm delighted to be joined by the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media from AT&T Sportsnet on TV and from ESPN Radio here in Pittsburgh. He is the great Stan Saverin. Stan, what's your take on Antonio Brown's antics, uh, specifically showing up late at Children's Hospital and now uh, going to war with Ed Bouchette? Uh, first of all, I find it interesting that Ed just kind of brushed it off as a true pro would be. Uh, the old story your parents would tell you, consider the source. Uh, I look at it this way, Mark. 
Um, what he does, as long as it's not criminal, doesn't affect his play on the field. That doesn't mean that what he does off the field is acceptable. It is not. It's just being a human being. It's being thoughtful of others. But when you are so narcissistic that the entire world revolves around you, then other people's feelings don't matter. On the one hand, credit should be given for someone who donates money and who takes the time to visit places like that, as many players do. But that is just rude poor behavior. The guy's a knucklehead. He's always been a knucklehead. Uh, he had a show uh, on our multiple stations. Um, he had. He was part of the AT&T, whatever we were called back then, when we would televise the Tom and Press Conference, we hired him uh, early in his career when he started to emerge as a good player, you know, to come in sort of like being the analyst after the coach was done speaking and so on and so forth. Um, he started out, and for about two weeks he was on uh, uh, on time. He wasn't very good on the air, but, hey, he's a, you know, a stealer. Um, and then, of course, he began showing up later and later and later, and that didn't show up at all, at all, at all. Uh, it's a pattern... I see uh, uh, with a lot of different guys. Oh, it happened to DVE with AB, too. That's what I'm saying. He had a uh, show with Jerry Dulac on our stations. It was carried on 970 as well. Um, and so the, the pattern of behavior of showing up whenever he feels like it, that is consistent with what he's done on the air at personal appearances. Again, I don't think that it affects his play. I don't think it affects the team's play. The Facebook posting a couple years ago, I believe that did affect the team. But the other stuff, whether he's late for Children's Hospital, but that doesn't mean that they're, they, they both can be dismissed. They, we can have both. We can admit that a guy's a great player, he's an important player, but we can also call out horrible, horrible behavior. Well, well, no, no, qu no question, Stan. I, I just... I'm not saying trade him or suspend him or shoot him, but I'm going to call an ass an ass. And to me, it's indicative of a deeper problem. I think the Steelers have more than one circus act. And it makes me ask you, are the Steelers unlikable as a team? They're certainly still selling tickets and merchandise, and they're still the number one team in Pittsburgh. But, but I just sense a cloud of negativity having descended over the team, according to a lot of fans. Uh, I don't think that people like it. Uh, but I also think that as long as the results on Sunday um, are acceptable to them, that takes precedence. Uh, that will always take precedence. And again, we're drawing a line here at not criminal behavior. We're talking about this kind of crap, and that's exactly what it is from uh, immature ball players. It happens elsewhere, uh, I, but I honestly don't think... Um, that when it comes to Sunday afternoon, they can forgive and forget uh, as long as the team wins. If they don't win, then all of a sudden that will increase the amount of dislike. It still goes down to they want to see the team win. But they ain't won enough. I mean, I think it's fair to say that in the Bell and Brown era, and I just wrote a column about this, the team's underachieved. Well, but again, uh, we've talked about this before. I think when you look during that era, and I mean, last year, I've said this before, I think that was the most depressing home playoff loss I've ever been at. 
and that's over 43 years now. Uh, that was awful. It was a disgrace. But as I pointed out, not as an excuse, but merely as a fact, if not a reason, that they, as a group, talking about the Killer Bees, have played exactly one game, that was the Jacksonville game, and one quarter against New England together. And let's also not forget this, that the quarterback's play, especially on the road and playoff games, has not been stellar, but maybe the biggest reason for that and this goes to the coaching staff, the scouting staff, the defense. Brown, Bell, Ben, they don't play defense. Yes, Dan, all that's obvious, and I, I, I'm not, you know, I appreciate you saying it, but the fact that these guys are a circus act pushes that to the background. And after a while, it just goes in one ear and out the other. All you know is it's a bunch of jerks who didn't win enough. See, I don't feel that way. My job as a sports analyst is to analyze the sports. Now, again, we get to a line where we're talking about criminal activity. That's a different story. When I believe it affects the team, as I do think that Brown's Facebook post after Kansas City, I do think that affects the team. Um, my job is to analyze what I see on the field. I'm not ignoring the other stuff. Again, they're not mutually exclusive. I can say I want to see them play well, and I want to see that. That's my angle. How well are they playing? Are they winning? And I can separate that while still condemning the kind of behavior you're talking about. I think it's abhorrent, and I've been a victim of it, too. Um, I did a Le'Veon Bell show on DVE. He was there for the first two weeks. Then he started showing up late. It ended up being the Saverin and Charlie Bat show. Uh, so I mean, I've seen this. I've experienced this before. I don't condone it. And, yeah, it's great that he volunteers to go to Children's Hospital. A lot of them do, donates money. But it's also just flat-out rude. Look, these kids over there, they're being treated. They're on medications. There's a regimen. They just can't be sitting around the lobby for four hours. Not to mention, not every kid at Children's is from Pittsburgh. Some of them come from hundreds of miles away. Their parents come in for these kinds of things, and it's just, it just flat-out rude. Well, Stan, Stan, here's the thing, too. He doesn't go to Children's Hospital because he cares about the kids. The minute he got there four hours late, he jumps in front of a camera and talks about how great it is to be here with these kids playing Madden EA19, a game he happens to be on the cover of. And that hundred grand he gave, Stan, that's less than one half of one percent of his annual salary. Don't get me wrong, the hospital can make good use of it, but it's not like he's this great philanthropist. He's doing all this for himself. I, I don't, I don't doubt that. But what's the end result? The end result of is he's behaving, that they're getting money, the kids get a thrill out of it, whatever his motivation. I don't disagree with you, Mark. I don't think there's any question about that. I hate to question a guy's motives when he's doing good work, whatever. The reason, the bottom line is, is the work is being done and people are getting a benefit from it. But the benefit they got was negated to a great deal by the feelings, the hurt feelings of these kids who, again, um, you've been to Children's Hospital. You know, they're constantly getting medication. You know, they can't be wheeled out into a lobby, um, you know, just to sit there for four hours. So whatever good he's done, I applaud that. I appreciate that. But that doesn't totally negate whatever his purpose is, doesn't negate the bad behavior, which takes away from the good that he's doing. We're talking to Stan Saverin. He's brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich. Shenderovich and Fishman. Stan, let me jump to a very cliched question. Should the Pirates retire Barry Bonds as number 24? Why or why not? Uh, I say no. Um, there's no question he achieved a great deal here. Uh, but I think when you look in terms of the years that he was here, the, the amount of years is what I'm saying. Um, I, I just I don't think it rises 
to that level. Um, I can't think of outside uh, the obvious with you know Clemente and Stargell. Uh, I can't think of any pirates who have played here in in my time here since 1976, um, other than Stargell, frankly, who would rise to that level. Maybe I'm forgetting someone. Dave Parker. Uh, yeah, Dave Parker. But I, again, I don't know if his number would ever be retired. And I was a big Dave Parker fan. He was the best player in the game for a short period of time. Um, Barry achieved his greatest successes by whatever methods, it's not important, um, with San Francisco. And I think when time, when all is said and done, people will remember him as a giant uh, more than they will as a pirate. Well, well that, that's true, Stan. And, uh, and at least you didn't say people don't like him because that's the big argument I hear for not retiring his number. But he played seven seasons. That's the same as Ralph Kiner, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You know, Ralph Kiner played with many courts. He traded them away. But uh, Ralph Kiner played with, you know, um, many more teams than, than Barry Bonds did, who just was at two. It's not a matter of like or dislike. It's a matter of accomplishment. Um, I don't know. You know, we want to talk about, well, they didn't leave with a ring. Um, he didn't leave with a ring. Um, he didn't win any rings. Uh, and, yeah, but, and again, but Stan, if you wait for a great player to spend his whole career in Pittsburgh, or win a world championship, they will never retire another number again. Well, I mean, in this day and age, playing with one team is definitely an anomaly. It doesn't happen very often. You know, and, and you know, we'll see it in football here. Ben's not going anywhere. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they're, you know, maybe Antonio Brown. He, he may not go anywhere. Certainly in hockey, you know, we've seen a number of those players. Um, but that's, that, you know, that's, that's probably not a good criteria because the game has changed free agency it's it's not the way it was so it's a bad comparison i don't know it's it, it's kind of like um it's just a feel kind of thing um it has nothing to do with like or, or dislike uh or, or lack of accomplishment um you know he didn't win a world series here but there were 24 other guys on that team who could have made a play that might have made a difference it's not just the throw to home plate with sid bream there were other things that happened uh, i'm just going by a field test and it, it's not fueled by any personal animus against barry bonds believe me um i, I recognize what a after the first couple of years, what a great player he became and what what an all-round player he was. Listen, he played left field at Three River Stadium uh, as well or better than anyone I've ever seen, except for that lousy night in Atlanta. In that vein, Stan, the Penguins have only ever retired two numbers, uh, Mario Lemieux and the late Michelle Briere. What if they only retired 87 moving forward and not 68 or 71, not Yager or Malkin because... That would hold the honor to a certain almost impossible level that I would find admirable. Yeah, I think you've got to be careful with that kind of thing. You know, when you're talking about retiring Barry Bonds' number here, uh, when you look around at some of the numbers that were retired, and I'm not trying to denigrate those guys, but, you know, a, a guy like uh, Billy Meyer, uh, you know, that before my time, uh, you know, what did they do? I don't know. We, we weren't around back then. Uh, I think you have to be careful with it. Um, I, I do think that um, Sid's an obvious one, uh, but if you do Sid, and you know Gino may be a half step below, but he's contributed an awful lot too. He was, but there. it's still a half step, isn't it? It is a half step, but the question is, how far down are you willing to go? Um, you know, really, outside of Mario, um, there have been a lot of guys who were great players here. I'm not saying you retire their numbers, but uh, again, a half step, a half step, excuse me, from being the greatest player of your generation is not that big a step. Uh, getting back to the Pirates, Stan, can they still dig their way out? Uh, the Cardinals have heated up, 
And I always say, and by the way, I get great disagreement on this regard. It's not just how many games you're back. It's how many teams you got to jump over. And it just seems like every time a team the Pirates have to jump over cools down, another team heats up and passes them. That's the key. Uh, the number of teams that, that they've got to pass. Um, again, um, they've got Atlanta, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Colorado, the Dodgers, all ahead of them, and by two and a half games, which at this stage of the career uh, the, of the season is a lot. Uh, the Nationals are only one game behind. I, I looked going into the games uh, through the weekend, Mark, and the Pirates, um, there were only two teams that were below 500 at that time. All the other ones were either at or above 500, including the Cardinals, who've won six in a row. That's the problem. This time of year, somebody's playing somebody else. And, yeah, someone's going to lose, but guess what? You're behind. Someone else is going to win. Uh, I don't think I, – look, I said it in the middle of the 11-game winning streak that they weren't going to make the playoffs. Um, it just it – just, too high hill to climb, and after these two games with Minnesota, you know, people said, well, if they run off another 10 in a row, they're not going to run off another 10 in a row. Why? Uh, because you've got four with the Cubs, three with the Braves, three with the Brewers, three with the Cardinals, three more with Atlanta. Uh, you know, those teams are, are fighting for things, too. Um, Good for them. They made a run, but I think it's going to fall short, and I, I felt that way even in the midst of the 11-game win streak. Stan, as always, great stuff. I will see you Thursday on your program. Look forward to it, Mark. Thank you. That's the great Stan Saverin. Check him out at ESPN Radio 1250 and at AT&T Sportsnet. And he's brought to you by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. Like me, they don't charge 40%. They charge only 25 Up next, we're going to talk to Bob McLaughlin at 105.9. Now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan. That happens when the show's as popular as this one. Yeah, double M, man. He'd love the show. He just wants to dance. VX at 105.9. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Um, Bob, uh, first off, Ben Roethlisberger left practice early. It said it'd be precautionary, but he looked to have hit his head on the turf. Uh, that concussion thing, boy, it could be minor and it can be major, and I don't want to pretend to think we could diagnose Ben from afar after he bumped his head today, but how many games could the Steelers play without Ben before their season just goes in the tank? I guess that would depend on who they play and certainly how well Landry Jones plays, but I think if Ben were to miss more than three or four games, I don't think the Steelers could make the playoffs, and that that is no matter what part of the schedule – I just think Landry Jones or any backup quarterback can go in there and initially have a spark of adrenaline, but when it dissipates, he and the team tend to be in trouble. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you there, Mark. I, the game, the number that jumped into my head immediately when you asked me the question was four games. So, yeah. Um, Five. Li- <laughs> right? Maybe. I would never use that line, ever. Um, the thing about Landry Jones, he runs the offense. He manages the offense well. He's nothing spectacular, and it seems like sometimes over the last couple of years when he has been in that position where he's come in to take over the game due to whatever circumstance, the better he gets, the more adventurous, the more dangerous he gets. Like, he would play better and better, and all of a sudden there's an unwise throw and it's intercepted and it's coming back the other way. Or, you know, there's a bad misread or or something happens. So, yeah, he can come in for a while and do okay, but if Ben Roethlisberger is out, 
it, for more than four games, like you said, that, that's that's the season. That's that's not, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be the power that they will because Ben pretty much runs that offense. He knows every little thing about it, and now he's finally got his guy to work with, where he's not button heads with Todd Haley already. You know. Him and Randy Feekner's, you know, relationship is pretty well, strong. Bob, let's be honest. Ben's the offensive coordinator, and Fickner's doing the detail work. Right. Yeah, that's and, I, and like that's I said, it's bad, a partnership now because but that's <laughs> obviously how it is. Uh, do you agree with me that, given the fact that you know training camp so far has been a circus act, and Le'Veon Bell isn't going to be in for a while, and the defense to me should be worse and not better? Unless, you know, rookies can catch on like Edmonds and Morgan Burnett can make major impact and Artie Burns and Sean Davis pick their game up another notch and they can find some solution to the inside backer dilemma. And boy, I've listed a lot of of things that need to yeah. be solved. I just think that that first game against Cleveland is a very vulnerable spot. I don't think Cleveland is going to be nearly as bad as they were last year. Don't get me wrong. I don't see them as a playoff team or anything close. And certainly, you know, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or Baker Mayfield, that's not a quarterback you'd figure could upset the Steelers. But but it just seems like a, a trap game. And I'm saying that a month out, but it just does seem like a trap game. Well, no, that's fair. And a lot of other people are kind of saying that same thing, Mark. They didn't blow the Browns out of the water last year. I mean, Oh, oh no, and Cleveland got good backers. They got a good offensive <laughs> yeah. line. You know what's ironic? That Joe Thomas quit just when it seems like the team's ready to turn a corner. Exactly. but And, and if physically that... What his body told him to do, I don't blame him, but it, it's still ironic. And they say his backup is doing okay. He's not Joe Thomas, but he is a good fit for that line. They might get Des Bryant. You know, we'll see. I guess they're still going to meet Thursday. Um, they've got better quarterbacks now. They're going to have that battle there. The Browns aren't going to be the laughing stock that they were last year. Um, this Here's the thing. The Steelers won a lot of those games last year without blowing people out. You said what was it, three to five games could have gone one way or the other last year. Oh, no, year. no, F there were five games decided by, uh, was it five or six decided by a last-minute uh, last field goal? Yeah, so... Like a narrow margin of victory. You have that going from last year. You've got a team this year that can do great things, but when you talk about the circus atmosphere at camp, it seems like a pretty good camp, except for Lev Bell not being there. Except for AB taking on the media and doing these other. Well, we never know really how how good the camp is, but 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 I I feel you, Bob. And let's stick with AB. What's your take on his latest? His his slandering of Ed Bouchette, his confronting of Ed Bouchette. Here's a question I've not asked yet today: Are the Steelers ever going to get control of this guy? And do they even feel they need to? They absolutely need to right now. This needs to come from Art Rooney the second. They have to sit A.B. down and rein him in. There should be a public apology. You've listed numerous tweets today that talk about the great relationship between Ed Bouchette and the Steelers, whether it's Dan Rooney. Uh, maybe it's not as close with Art the second, but still, he, ha he certainly has the trust of that organization down there. And Ed does a great job. His name is in the Hall of Fame already. Everybody knows that. He's been awarded other, you know, things that he's earned throughout his tenure reporting on the Steelers. You can't have a player going off on him like that for no apparent reason. It was the, it was the simplest Well, for no tweet. reason beyond his, his consistent and oppressive narcissism. Right. It was the stupidest tweet to just say, hey, he left the field, he's limping. 
Right, it's not like he said he lost a leg. (laughs) Right, right, and he didn't say anything about he's faking it or, boy, this looks serious or, oh, my gosh, you know, he's not going to be able to get back into practice. He just said simply left the field. Ed Bouchette just deserves better, and I guarantee the team feels that way. Right, and and I've seen But I bet that team doesn't have the guts to make A.B. apologize. I don't know that. I don't know that. With the response. Want to bet? I'm not doing too good in bets against you. 20 bucks. You can lose 20 bucks. 20 bucks, AD, AB doesn't apologize. Oh, well, wait. I thought we were talking about whether the team reigns them in, whether somebody says something to him. Like, does Tomlin address this and then say something about it at a press conference? Does Tomlin this... doesn't think this is a big deal at all. Well, no, okay. Tomlin How about this? Tomlin is AB only older and a bit more subtle. Okay, so how do we phrase this bet then? If Art Rooney II... No, no, if AB apologizes, you get 20 bucks. If he doesn't apologize, I get twenty. Oh bucks. my God! What a sucker's bet! No other, no other. That's it. Period. All right, I'll take it anyway. And he has to say, "I'm sorry." It can't be some backhanded thing. Can if you it, say, "I apologize"? The words "apologize" or "sorry" have to be used. Okay, I'll take that. Okay, because that's what's best or for sorry business. Have to be used. <laughs> it's uh, not going to happen, but I will take it. Okay, fair enough. I, I can. And by the way, just to be crystal clear, unless I'm reading this wrong, last year eight Steelers wins were by six points or less, and five of them were by three points or less. Yeah, it's. I knew the number was right around there. I remember being really damn nervous for a lot of those games. Um, and just to finalize the thing on the A-B situation, I, I think that Art Rooney II will say something about this, whether it's public. Well, now, or, now, here's the thing. Now, if the Steelers apologize, but, but Antonio oh, Brown doesn't, can't. then I win the bet. No, I totally agree. The Steelers cannot apologize on behalf of Antonio Brown for this. A.B. ain't going to apologize. Narcissistic pissants don't apologize. You just want me to give you the 20 now? Yeah. Uh, real quick, Bob, I know you're a big fan like I am of Better Call Saul. Oh, man. What Great. was your take of episode two last night? Uh, as I said earlier, you don't often see people suffocated to death via use of a plastic bag. I thought it was a lot of fun. And boy, did they have it down. They did it in like 10 seconds. They got Classic the bag, bag over his head, tied the tied, bag off, right. and zip-tied his hands behind his back. Right, zip-tied him. You know, he was hog-tied in less than 10 seconds. I mean, and, and just, oh my God, for Nacho to just sit there with the gun to his head and watch that and think about what was coming next. Great now, if, episode. If memory serves, we all remember the body count on Breaking Bad. It was monumental. Right. I think only one person got killed last year on Better Call Saul. Got murdered. I don't know what you would call what happened to Chuck. You know, the house fire, the suicide, whatever. Right. But I think we're going to have a high body count because now this year, and I'm not complaining, now it becomes a meth show. Now that Gus and Mike are, are, are embedded in the show, now the body count goes up. Don't you agree? I do agree with you. Also, if you stayed around last night for the uh, preview of next week. I did. There was an awful lot of, <laughs> hey, it's going to get real bad real quick in those quick previews. And they cut away. But there was a lot of, wow, you got to see know, next uh, week. Who, who are the actors? Giancarlo Esposito plays Gus. What's the name of the guy who plays Mike Armantrout? Uh, Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks, that's right. Of course, famous in Airplane. his role in Airplane. Airplane. About two more minutes, He's all Chief. over the place. <laughs> uh, you know what's amazing about both those two as actors? They do more with their expressions than most actors do with words. Oh, Gus. I don't know how Gus plays that role the way he does, because he is so maniacal and menacing with just doing nothing. And like, by all accounts, he's a nice guy in real life, as is Jonathan Banks. Right. I mean, they show, uh, well, I'm not going to give any other stuff away because for people who maybe haven't seen it. But he, he, How about Kim Wexler cutting the promo on Howard? Unbel- it was my favorite scene. 
Favorite yeah. scene of last night. It might have been the just... best scene of Better Call Saul to date. Well, here's the thing. Because we... it was such a passionate promo, she she flustered Howard. Oh, it was acted great. It was written great. It was, you know. What's del- this, another F you from beyond the grave to Jimmy? You want me to give this to him? It was delivered at a volume where I was like, just kind of like moving away from my TV. Kim Wexler could straighten out AB. Yeah, real quick, last thing. Last year, I thought that an Emmy should have gone to the scene where Jimmy got Chuck on the stand. He got him to admit that he was wrong and all of that, and he just broke him down on the stand. That didn't well, even get nominated. The underlying message when Jimmy broke Chuck down on the stand was that for all the Chuck's uh, decorations, Jimmy was the better lawyer. Absolutely. He, he outmaneuvered him in court, which shows that he was the better lawyer, and Chuck... I think that's what Chuck was afraid of, in a way, that that would happen. It did happen. The scene so far this year, my favorite scene on TV, was last night her going off on Howard. Just unbelievable. That's Bob McLaughlin. In just 30 seconds, we're going to talk about the concept of like. What's like got to do with it? 105.9 X.